John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, if y'all could give it up for the praise band. They've done a lot this week uh, to really help us get ready for worship this morning. I'm really grateful for y'all and all the hard work that y'all do. Uh, good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. It's good to be with y'all here today. Like I said a few weeks ago, we're taking a break from our Nehemiah series to uh, look at uh, Heritage Sunday last week and then Pentecost next week and then for the rest of June we'll be back in our Nehemiah series. Pentecost is one of my favorite days in the church calendar year. It's the birthday of the church. It's when God sends the Holy Spirit to his people and the church of Jesus Christ is truly born. It's one of my favorite days like Christmas and Easter. I remember there was this time when I was at Asbury Seminary uh, about five years ago. It was in my spiritual warfare class, and the professor was talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit of God in the church, and he was talking about this issue, what he saw in evangelicalism that he called practical cessationism. Cessationism, for those of you who don't know, is this belief that the supernatural gifts of the Spirit or the supernatural events that we read about in the Bible like prophecy, healing, miracles, that all those things have ended when the books of the Bible were written and they're not meant for us today. That's what cessationism believes. And that's not what Methodist doctrine teaches. Methodist doctrine teaches that the gifts of the Spirit continue on until today. But my professor was talking about this idea of practical cessationism, where he said that there may not, that many evangelicals say they believe in these gifts. They'll say that they believe miracles can still happen or that these gifts are still available for today. But in practice, they don't seek them out and they do ministry as if these gifts do not even exist. And I remember as I was hearing that, I thought, ugh. Yes, Lord, those people are the worst. And the Lord said to me, Jeremy, he's talking about you right now. And it was just one of those moments, you know, when the Lord just like cuts you to the heart and you're like, oh no, he is talking about me, isn't he? Let's look at what the scripture says on the day of Pentecost and what the scripture has to say about our practical cessationism. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and then later 14 through 20. 12 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filling the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came and gathered in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Skipping down to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. 
And then Peter stood up with the eleven, embraced his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, it was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Word of God for you, me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we look at this idea of practical cessationism, we see here on the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit is poured out onto the early church, this is the start of the church of Jesus Christ. What we see in the testimony of Scripture is that Jesus is not enough to start the church. A risen Jesus is not enough to start the church. We need the Holy Spirit to truly be the church of Jesus Christ. My professor at Asbury would often say, without the Holy Spirit, all that we would ever know is a dead Jesus. Because it is the Spirit of God that tells us that Jesus is truly alive. And we see on the day of Pentecost that what was reserved for a select few in the Old Testament, what was reserved for just the special people in the Old Testament, people like Moses. You all know Moses, right? He's a pretty important dude. People like Moses, David, Elisha, that these special people, they were the ones who had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And then you get to the prophet Joel, who prophesies that one day the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all people. All people will receive the Spirit of God. And what we know is that today, as Christians, if you profess with your mouth and believe with your heart, Scripture tells us that you have the Spirit of God within you, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on everyone, not just for the elite select few, but for everyone. Look at what the Scripture says in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. I will pour out my Spirit on all all people, And then later he explains who all the people were, that there's no discrimination in the Spirit of God, that it's old men, young men, men, women, slaves, free, the whole socioeconomic spectrum, every class of people, they all get the Spirit of God within them. That this is a free gift of God that he generously pours out over us. But I want you all to notice specifically the thread of the supernatural gifts that is promised when the Spirit of God is poured out. Looking again at verse 17. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that this prophecy that was given to the early church was just meant for the early church. It's meant for us today in the here and now that we are currently in the last days until Christ returns. And I think as we look at the American church in general, as we just sort of take a step back, I think a problem that we have in, in the American church is as much as we like to think we are not a church of the culture, we fundamentally are. We are still people shaped and formed by our culture. And what I mean by that is this. 
when it comes to things of the supernatural, when it comes to uh, prophecy, vision, dreams, healings, miracles, our culture is not very open to things like that. We live in a very modernistic culture, that very closed system that if there is a God, God doesn't really intervene in our day-to-day life, and if there is no God, then surely there's no such thing as miracles or the supernatural. Our culture is just generally not very open to things like this, and we in the church have maybe kind of let that seep in a little bit, that we won't deny that they happen, but maybe they're not meant for us today. Or maybe they just don't happen as much today. What we'll do is we'll push the things of the supernatural to the edges rather than keeping them at the forefront like Scripture seems to do over and over again. Next time you go through your gospel, read the ministry of Jesus, and every time you come across a miracle, just take note of it and notice how pervasive the supernatural miraculous is in the ministry of Jesus. Where a culture does is it looks for a natural explanation to supernatural events when a miraculous healing occurs will look for some type of natural way to explain it. And we in the American church have domesticated the Spirit of God in our midst. We have stopped seeking. We have stopped praying for an outpouring that looks like Pentecost. I think there's many reasons why we do this, and I think just a few is maybe something like this, prayer or prophecy, visions, dreams, healings, miracles, that maybe makes us a little uncomfortable. Might make us a little uncomfortable so we don't want to seek it out. Maybe we're worried that we'll look foolish to those who are not a part of the church, or maybe even look foolish to those who are in the church. We're worried, well, what if I pray for this and it doesn't happen, and we're worried we'll look foolish we worry, what will others think about us? I have a reputation to maintain. I can't seek things like that out. Or maybe even deeper, we just fundamentally don't believe that things like this happen anymore. For the longest time, whenever I would read a supernatural event or read a miracle in my scripture, I would go like, oh man, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Anyways, moving on that I would domesticate the inbreaking of the power of God into our natural world. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's really cool, God, that you fed 5,000 people. But what's the, what's the lesson behind you feeding 5,000 people? Lord, what's the ethical thing that you are trying to teach me that I took the life and ministry of Jesus and I tried to boil it down just to good lessons and good teachings? Or as John Wesley put it, I have the form of religion without power of religion. When we look at what happens at Pentecost, Jesus promises in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this, you will, rec- you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That when the Spirit of God is poured out on his people, that the power of God dwells and rests in the people of God. I heard this story about John Wimber a few years ago. For those of you who don't know, John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement, uh, which is a charismatic movement, now a denomination, back in the 60s. 
And John Wimber converted to Christianity as an adult. And there's this story about him that after his, Christ, after his conversion, he just, he just couldn't stop reading his Bible. He just read the Gospels, and he just couldn't get enough of reading Scripture. And he kept reading about all the miracles that took place in the Gospels and in the pages of Scripture, and reading about what, Jesus, what, hap, what the apostles did in the, in the book of Acts. And John Wimber, one day he went to his church and he went to one of the leaders in his church and he said, hey, when do we get to do the stuff? And I was like, the stuff? What are, you, what are you talking about? What do you mean, when do we get to do the stuff? And John Wimber opened his Bible to one of the miracles of Jesus and he's like, that, when do we get to do that stuff? And the guy responds and he says, oh, that. Oh, we don't do that stuff anymore. We just read about the stuff. Friends, the invitation that Jesus was inviting me that day in seminary five years ago was an invitation, do you want to do the stuff with me? I think today on this Pentecost, Jesus is offering each and every one of us the same invitation. want to do the stuff with him. Because as we look at what the Lord does on Pentecost by sending us his Holy Spirit, we see that the promises of God that are fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Another way to translate that. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire in billows of smoke, that this is what God promises. God promises to do in our midst. This is what God desires to do in and through our lives and in and through our ministry if we simply ask him to move in that way. Uh, Pastor Rick gave a really great sermon a couple weeks ago. Um, if you haven't listened to it, I recommend it. He gave a sermon about uh, Philip in the book of Acts and Philip going and converting the Ethiopian eunuch. And when you read that story in the book of Acts, it's a story about how the Spirit of God takes Philip and he moves him over here, and then the Spirit says to Philip, hey, go and talk to that man in the chariot, and then he goes, and lo and behold, the man in the chariot's reading about Jesus. And so Philip shares with him about Jesus, and he baptizes him, baptizes him and then sends him off to Ethiopia where he converts this, the country of Ethiopia. And we'll read stories like that in our Bible, and we'll be like, boy, isn't that neat? But friends, the truth is that stories like that still happen nowadays and still can happen in your life, in my life as well. Do we expect God to move like this? Do we desire the power of God like this? So what's the first step to take in wanting more? What's the first step to doing ministry like this? I think the first step is this, to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he has this long two-page uh, or two-chapter, three-chapter discussion about the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, 1. Paul writes, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. I think oftentimes when we read this passage in Paul, we'll be like, follow the way of love. And it's like, yeah, 
I got that, Paul. And evil angels aren't against sons of spirit. Okay, cool. But let's focus on the follow the way of love part. No, Paul says, it's, it's a both and. Follow the way of love, have the fruit of the spirit in your life, and desire the giftings of the spirit in your life to eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy, Paul writes. And I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, hand up. For the longest time in my life, I did not eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. If I'm being more honest with you, I didn't even slightly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I wanted to keep my comfortable Christianity right where it was, where I could safely from a distance read about the stuff and not have any expectations of that weird stuff coming into my Christianity. I kept God at an arm's length and kept that weird stuff at an arm's length. But the challenge for us, I think, on Pentecost as we look at what the Holy Spirit did when he birthed the church of Jesus Christ and what he's continually inviting us to participate in is to eagerly desire more of the Spirit of God in our lives, to eagerly desire these gifts of the Spirit. So why should we eagerly desire this? Why should we eagerly desire gifts like this, especially prophecy? Which prophecy, by the way, just giving you a quick definition, is just the words of God for the here and now. You may have had someone come up to you in your life and just say like, hey, um, this may be weird, but I think the Lord wants you to know, and then they'll say something to you, and you're like, oh man, that's exactly what I needed to hear right now. Have any of y'all ever had that happen to you, where someone just speaks, that's that's prophecy. We make it more weird than it is, but it's just God speaking into our lives through other people. And so what Paul is saying is eagerly desire more of God speaking and moving in his community. What a novel thought, isn't it? And so Paul writes, why is it that we want more of the prophetic gifting especially? Why do we want more of these gifts of the Spirit? He says it later on in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through uh, 25. He says this, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. When we eagerly desire these giftings, when we start to step out in faith, when the Spirit prompts us to, when we practice these giftings that God has given us, it says that people come and bow down on their faces and worship and say, God is truly among you. Friends, when we look at our own faith and we look at our own church, do we eagerly desire this? Do we eagerly desire this? We eagerly desire a lot of things in the church. We eagerly desire a better building, we eagerly desire a better strategy, a better marketing campaign, maybe a better sound system, maybe even a better pastor. We eagerly desire all these peripheral things, all these things that whatever we think culture says a church as a business should look like, we eagerly desire those things. But hear the truth, friends, that the church of Jesus Christ is not a business. It is a God-breathed movement of the Spirit of God to proclaim the risen Christ, to do the work that Jesus did, to set people free from the bondages of sin, and to give them new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That is what Jesus calls us to do, and we are meant to eagerly desire, as Jeff talked about, the power of God that allows us to do the work of God. Friends, the Lord has convicted me that I have eagerly desired all of these cultural things. And it's so easy to slip back into eagerly desiring the things that we can see and touch with our hands and say, if we can only make all that other stuff right, then things will be okay. But the scripture says, seek instead me. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. That to seek the Spirit of God, to seek these things, it's easy to have the form of religion without the power of it. But friends, I want to eagerly desire this. I want to do the stuff, as John Wimber said. To have the power of God, the evidences of God, the fingerprints of God that we see all throughout our world. I want to participate with Jesus in the great inbreaking of the kingdom of God to set up outposts of the kingdom of God into our broken, of fallen world. And friends, as we hear this message, I want you to hear the good news as well that these are gifts of the Spirit. They're gifts of the Spirit. They're not salary of the Spirit. They're gifts of the Spirit. We don't have to work to earn gifts. You have to work to earn gifts from your parents. I sure hope not. But we don't have to earn gifts from our parents. Jesus desires to give us the Spirit. He desires to pour out giftings on His church that make us radically rely on the Lord. Scripture tells us, even making that analogy, that just as you as a parent know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God the Father, who is ultimately good, know how to give good gifts to those who ask of Him? Friends, as I was praying over the sermon, I was asking, Jesus, what is it that you want your church to get out of today? think Jesus told me this. I think he said, I want my people to dream again. I want my people to dream again. Churches, we look forwards and not backwards. As we step into the ministry that Jesus is calling us to do, do we receive that blessing that the Spirit of God is calling us into something new, something deeper? We desire to dream again. Maybe the Lord has placed a ministry dream on your heart that has died off decades ago or years ago, that the Lord is inviting you to reawaken again. Do we personally receive this? And also hear the good news for those of you who are older. Uh, there is no age cap on the gifts of the Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 16. It says, uh, verse 18, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and then what? Your old men will dream dreams. There's no age cap on the Spirit of God. I want to close with the story of what happened uh, to me at Kingwood about eight months ago. Um, like I said, I was a practical cessationist for most of my life, where I, I gave lip service to the gifts of the Spirit, but in all, for all intents and purposes, I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing any of that. And so uh, right around that time, about five years ago, when the Lord convicted me of that practical cessationism, I just started to be like, all right, Lord, you tell me to eagerly desire these gifts. I'm going to start praying for these gifts. And so the Lord gave me a semi-prophetic gifting of uh, words of knowledge, which is basically just Jesus will give me words about someone, and I'll tell them to them. It's pretty simple. 
Uh, and so I started to step out in faith when I felt like the Lord was telling me things about people. And at Kingwood, we had this healing and prayer service uh, where we would have a, a time of prayer and a time of teaching, and then we would just have sort of an open altar time where we would have me or one of our leaders would just give prophetic words that Jesus was speaking to us um, as we got them. And there's this one night uh, about 10 months ago when I was at this healing and prayer service, and the Lord said to me, he said, there is someone here who thinks that this is stupid, and I want her to know that I see her and that I know her name and that her name is Jessica. And that was the very first time the Lord had given me a specific name for someone. And I looked up, and I knew everyone in the room, and I said, Lord, there is not a Jessica in here. This is the dumbest thing in the entire world. I am not going to say that because I know everyone in here, and there's no Jessica. I know, like, maybe one person. It might not, it might be her. She might be the only Jessica in this room. And the Lord just, like, let that thought just sit in my mind. He's like, I'm not going to tell you anything else unless you say this. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to lose all my credibility, but whatever. I'll say it because you want me to. And so I said it, and like I suspected, no one moved, no one stirred. Everyone kind of looked around and be like, is there Jessica here? And they were like, no, Jessica's not here. And I was like, all right, great, whatever. Thanks, God. I was right. You were wrong. And so then I gave it, and I was like, all right, maybe I just misheard. Maybe I was wrong. And then about 15 minutes later, I see our youth director come up to the front to talk to me, and he says, hey, man, uh, the cleaning lady just showed up. And I was like, all right, well, why don't you tell them to come back in about 30 minutes? We're almost done. And at Kingwood, we had a, a service coming clean. We didn't know the names of our cleaning service people. Um, and he says, no, 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 Jeremy, you don't understand. Uh, the cleaning lady's name is Jessica. And I was like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's not possible. That's not how this happens. And he's like, no, it, she told me her name was Jessica. And I was like, all right, well, why don't you go and tell her what I thought I heard, and then we'll see if she responds or reacts as well, because I was not going to make myself look foolish twice in one night over the same word. And so he goes back, and he gives the, the message to her, and the next thing I know that she's just making a beeline down to the front, and I, I go up to her, and I say, is your name Jessica? And she nods, and she says yes, and I'm like, okay. Uh, and I say, well, I, I think the Lord said this to me, and I said what I thought I heard and I was like, does this resonate with you at all? Does this make sense at all? And she just starts nodding, and she's starting to tear up at this point. And I say, well, can I pray for you? And she nods, and she says yes. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, I didn't expect it to get this far. Uh, I don't know what to pray for her. Uh, what, what should I pray for her about? And he said, just tell her how much I love her. And so I just start praying that over her and just praying those scriptures over her and just declaring the truth of God over her. And she just starts like that. She just starts weeping while I'm praying over her, just like the full body type of weeping. And I'm just, and I end the prayer and I talk with her a bit afterwards. I was like, did any of that resonate with you at all? Does any of that make sense? And she says, she says to me, you know, I've been away from the church for a long time and I was wanting to come back, but I didn't know if God would welcome me back. And then we spoke for a bit afterwards and then she left. Prophecy, Paul says, makes people bow down to their face and say, surely God is among us. Friends, that night I 
went back up to the front and I was like, friends, you'll never guess, you'll never believe who that was. That was Jessica. And everyone was like, surely God is among us. Church, doing the stuff is fun. Terrifying, but fun. Doing the work of Jesus is fun. There's nothing like stepping out in faith making yourself look foolish for God, saying, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look like an utter fool. Friends, that night I bowed my head and said, surely God is among us. I'd like to invite the band back up. You know, as we think about Pentecost and we think about Jesus moving and working in the Spirit of God, moving and working in our own midst, I want to challenge us today to be open to be open for more of what God wants to do in our midst, to be open for more of the things of God. As I was praying again for this message, I said, Lord, what's kind of the image and response you want of your people? And he said, he, I, the Lord gave me this image that we as a church have had our hands kind of closed tightly and face down like this. Friends, the invitation that Jesus is inviting us to do is simply to open our hands and turn them up Say, Lord, I receive all that you have for me. I also felt the Lord say um, to anoint hands with oil. So friends, if you want to receive more of the Spirit of God and are okay with thinking people may think you're foolish by walking up to the front, uh, I would love to just cup your hands like this and I'll anoint your hands with oil and I'll say a prayer for you. Um, receive more of the Spirit of God. Because truly, God is among us, and we need his power. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.